Again, 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13. This is it's gonna be kind of weird today. Well, I don't want to say it's I don't want to say it was it was weird for me when I was putting this message together because I knew exactly what God wanted me to say to this congregation. I just didn't know how to say it. Have you ever had that in your life where you knew you were supposed to say something to somebody, but you, you just didn't know how to say it? And so that was my struggle this week. And so uh, it's going to come off how it comes off. But we're going to start here. Verse 13, the Bible says, and it came even to pass as the trumpeters and the singers was one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud. Don't miss it. The temple, the church, the place of worship, it said that it was filled with a cloud. A cloud came inside. And so, verse 14, it says, so that the priest, they could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. They had to stop playing the instruments. They had to stop singing. Why? Because the cloud, what was the cloud? It says, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God, God's glory had came into that place to where they were unable to play instruments and sing unto them. Uh, chapter six, second Chronicles, chapter six, verse 21. This is this this is a prayer right after they experienced this glory cloud, something uh, that they've never experienced or seen before. Here's the prayer of Solomon. He says, hearken therefore unto the supplications of thy servant and to the people of Israel, which they shall make towards this place. He said, hear their prayers. He says, hear thou from thy dwelling place, hear even from heaven, and when thou hearest, forgive, forgive. Today, I want to preach to you from this topic, the mountaintop prayer, the mountaintop prayer. If you could join together one more time, the enemy, he still wants to distract. He still uh, wants to do what he does. And so we're going to pray and cast him out of this place right now in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord. We again, we come to you, Father. There is never enough times that we can pray to you, Lord. The word says to pray without ceasing. God, we understand that prayer is our dependency upon you. We know that we can't do it by ourselves. And so, God, we come to you right now and we ask that even in this scripture that your glory, that it would come into this place, Lord God, and that it would minister unto us. Father, that it would push out the devices in the tricks of the enemy that the enemy himself lord god would be cast out of this place i pray lord that you would use me as a vessel god to minister unto this congregation lord the words of god let it be manna from heaven not my words not my doing god but we're asking the holy ghost to minister specifically to the situations and the lives that are in this sanctuary today in the name of jesus christ we pray and we all say amen Amen. Why don't you give the Lord a hand clap of praise one more time before you take your seats? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
Deuteronomy 29 and 5. You don't have to put it up. I want to read it very quickly. It says, and I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes, they have not waxed old upon you, and your shoe has not waxed old upon your feet. Uh, This is an interesting verse, definitely in today's society, Uh, because in this verse, what is being said is God, he allowed for 40 years the people of God as they roamed around in the wilderness to wear the exact same clothes and to wear the exact same shoes every single day, seven days a week for 40 years. Now, how many people in here would want to wear the same clothes every single day? See, the clothes, they didn't wear out. The clothes didn't get old and have tears in them, but miraculously, he allowed them to stay in place that they can wear them forever. Now, I'll be honest with you. I I wouldn't mind that, to be honest. I wouldn't mind wearing the same garment every single day. It takes away the decision to figure out, what am I going to wear today, Pastor? You know, I I, I wouldn't mind wearing the same thing. But but we as people, there is something in us uh, that we want to uh, uh, be introduced to new things. We want to to wear new things. Uh, it, It goes even beyond that. But how many people in here, I want you to be honest with yourself, if God gave you a vehicle, and that vehicle never needed to be fixed. He said that it had never run out of gas. It had never break down. He gave you that car to you back in 1990. How many people would continue to drive that car today? Pastor, he said no. <laughs> ah. Now listen, you, you, you got the new cars. They're coming out. They look real fancy. But listen, I would drive that car forever, probably. See, there's a, a co-worker of mine who uh, he, would, he would kind of boast about uh, being a millionaire. He wasn't a millionaire because uh, he started some business and he made a lot of money over time. It was, he, he, even though he's not in the church, he followed some principles in the Bible about being a good steward. And so by the time he retired from UPS, he's a millionaire uh, he, he told me he had about $1.5 million. I, I wondered the things that he had done and that he had did to accumulate this, this much money. And it was, it was real obvious one of the things that he had done. He had a 1994, I'm sorry, 1997 Dodge Ram. It was 19 years old. And this guy was a millionaire, and that was his only vehicle. Do you hear me? He would drive this truck to work every single day. Now, if you pull up to the UPS parking lot, you see they got some fancy cars in that parking lot. Mine is not one of them. (laughs) Uh, but, But he drove this car every single day until the engine finally quit on him. But for 19 years, he said, nothing is wrong with this truck. So why should I invest and use my money to buy something else? See, his focus was not on the things around him, um, but he was just so focused on what the purpose of the vehicle was. I have a picture that I want to share with you. It was the first car that was officially mine. You know, I've had cars. They've been in my mom's name and they've been in everybody else's name. But this 1994 Buick LeSabre right here, whew, I almost worshiped this car, y'all. Listen, this was my first vehicle. 
I, I, I got this car from an elder lady who was losing her sight. She had to sell it. I bought it with 63,000 miles on it. I mean, it was beautiful on the inside. No scratches. She bought it brand new. I mean, she had the car for 10 years. I, I don't know how many years after I bought it. But listen, I was in love with this car. This was my vehicle. I, I, I didn't care what other people thought about it because when I grew up, I was quite poor. I, I don't know what it's like to be dropped off to school. Every day I went to school, I walked or I caught the bus from elementary school all the way up to high school. I, I didn't know what it was like uh, uh, to, to have my mom pick me up from school. And even as I went to college and other kids, they had vehicles, teenagers, and I was unable to have a car. And so everywhere I went, I walked. If it was less than two miles, I walked. If it was more than two miles, I would catch the bus. And listen, I know the Metrolink bus system here in the Quad Cities better than anybody in this room. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. And so you have to understand with me walking everywhere I went, this car, it meant a lot to me. Listen, I only put the best gas in it. Till this day, I only use Shell gasoline. That's my, that's, I think that's the best gas. I only put the best oil in this car. I would go get my oil changed again. This is a 1994. And they would just assume that I wanted conventional oil. I said, no, give me the synthetic, $75. See, I love this car. It, it, it meant something to me because it was my first car and because I was in love and infatuated with it, I did everything I could to take care of this vehicle. Uh, but it came a time, if I can show you the next pic, where the car it just, it wasn't in the best of shape, y'all. <laughs> Literally, I drove it till the wheels rolled off. No, no lie. I was turning the corner and the wheel rolled off. <laughs> Sparks jumping up. <laughs> and this is the aftermath. I put the wheel up under there and I had to get another car. The Lord knew I was going to drive that car till it was undrivable. And listen, I'm telling you, the car, it rolled so smooth. Pastor, I remember a time he asked me for a ride. I forget what it was. His car was somewhere. And I'm going to say this, he, his expectation didn't meet his experience. <laughs> you know, you would expect something like that beat up, got all the marks and scars on it. You would expect that type of car to ride pretty rough. It was, you thought it would be loud, but that car was so quiet. I remember I would pull up to stoplights and I would, because I thought the car cut off, but it was just so quiet. I thought it cut off on me, but it was just so smooth. I remember Pastor, he getting in the seat and we riding and he just smiling and laughing. Pastor, what you laughing at? He can't believe that the car rides this good. You would have thought you were in a Cadillac, in a, in a Rolls Royce, in, in something fancy. The car just rolled nice, but it, it looked bad on the outside. See, I want you to understand that this car, it was special to me because I've never had a car before. And as we get in today's story, it's the same situation for the children of Israel. They were walking around not only in the wilderness, but in the promised land. The promised land that God had given them. They were walking around and they had had no permanent place for the ark of the Lord. They didn't have a permanent place to worship. They, they were something like the refuse church that they, they were just setting up their tent anywhere they lived and anywhere they went. 
in David, the Bible says, the man after the Lord's heart. He desired to build God a house. But God told him that you will not build this house for me because your hands are bloody. You are a man of war. You've killed too many people. And because this house is built for my name, I can't allow you to build it. Now understand this. The house was not built for Israel. I need us to get this. The house was built for the name of the Lord. That's what made it special. See, this church, you may think this church is built for you, but this church is built for the name of the Lord. Whatever the Lord wants to do in this place, we give him full authority and full access. We want his presence and his glory to come into this place. Yes, I will come and worship. Yes, I will come and sacrifice. But this is how this church is for the name of the Lord. This is God's house. This is not my house. So David, he sacrificed a lot. And God told him that Solomon would build his house. Solomon would build the temple. And so Solomon, he goes and he builds this temple. We find that it's it's 20 years later that he finishes the temple and his house. And they get to the place where it's time to dedicate the building. They finally, they get the building built and they have the finest people begin to work and they finish the house. It was, it was so detailed and articulate. Uh, the things that were written on the walls and everything that was in there was perfect the way that God had instructed it to be. And Solomon, they bring the ark into the house. And the Bible says that they sacrifice unto God. And as they sacrifice, we come unto this verse where it says that the people, they began to play trumpets and they began to play music and cymbals and they worshiped the Lord saying, for the Lord is good and his, his mercy, it endures forever. This was the song that they sang unto God because they were so happy. They were glad that they finally had a church. They, they finally, they had a temple. They, they said, let us worship. Let us sacrifice unto God. And they sacrificed unto God. And listen, God was so pleased with the sacrifice. He was so pleased with the worship that something that has never happened in the history of time happens. A cloud enters into the temple to the point to where they can't worship anymore. I need you to get how phenomenal, how marvelous this event is in the history of of Israel. This is the peak. It's the pinnacle. It's it's the mountaintop of what's happening in Israel. There's nothing greater than this moment and this time in their history. God comes and he confirms that he is with the people. It's cloudy. I don't know what it looks like. I know what the roads look like when it's foggy, when you can barely see in front of you. Uh, but I, I can imagine it was so thick that they, they couldn't see each other in that place. And they knew that this was the glory of God. And it was so magnificent and marvelous. How could you ever forget something like this? You've never experienced God's presence like this before. Not only do you feel it, but you see it. Your senses, they recognize it. And when this happens, Solomon prays a prayer that blows me away. 
I want you to think about the most exciting time in your life. When, when did you get your greatest moment of joy? When were you just elated where you just had to run and you had to dance and you were just ecstatic? When was the greatest time of your life? That's what was happening in Israel. They were excited. And then Solomon, after this moment, the Bible says he prays. All of 2 Chronicles chapter 6 is the prayer after God's cloud has entered into the church and astonishes me. He says, Lord, I thank you that you, you've made uh, 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 my father David to sit on the throne and you've accomplished what you've told him. But, but hear what he says in, in 21. He says, Lord, hearken therefore unto the prayers of thy servant and of thy people Israel, which they shall make toward this place. Hear thou from thy dwelling place, even from heaven, and when thou hearest, forgive. Now, I don't know if y'all missed it, but what kind of prayer is that? This is not the type of prayer I pray when I'm celebrating something. See, when I graduated high school, I, I wasn't praying anything about, Lord, if, if I don't make it in college, forgive me and help me and let me get back on my feet. But it was just a moment of celebration, pastor. I wasn't thinking nothing about forgiveness. I wasn't thinking nothing about sin. In that moment uh, that they were celebrating on the mountaintop, Solomon, he prays. He says, Lord, forgive them. Let's continue to verse 22. The Bible says in the very first portion, he starts it off by saying, if a man sin against his neighbor, Solomon, listen, the, the glory of the Lord just came in here. What are you talking about? Why are you talking about if a man sins against his neighbor? Prayer continues, verse 24. It says, and if thy people Israel be put to the worst before the enemy because they have sinned against thee. Solomon, you still talking about sin? We just had a phenomenal time in the Lord. This is not what I expected in the prayer. Verse 26, he says, Lord, when the heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against thee. Still talking about this. Verse 36, if they sin against thee, for there is no man which sinneth not, and thou be angry with them and deliver them over before their enemies and carry them away as captives into a far land off and near. He said, Lord, will you hear their prayers? See, the famous verse in 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. That verse right there, that is a result of God responding to Solomon's prayer right here. He is responding to Solomon, asking him at a moment of celebration, hey, Lord, if my people, if your people, if they begin to sin and they do all of these things again, hey, will you forgive them? This is the prayer at the height of Israel that Solomon prays after experiencing the glory of God. Uh, if I can present to you, I believe that Solomon, he knew that the feeling of that moment wouldn't last forever. See, Solomon was the wisest man in the Bible. God had given him wisdom that far exceeded anyone on the face of the planet. And Moses, when he was praying in that place, and as glory, a glorious as that moment was, he knew that the people would soon forget that powerful moment of God. 
it would leave their mind. And they would go back to doing the things that they were doing before they experienced his presence. Uh, how many people in here have encountered the Spirit of God? You have encountered the presence of God. You have seen people full of the Holy Ghost and God's presence is all on them. But right after that moment, they go back to doing things that they should not have been doing. See, Solomon, something he knows and that in us, we are not content. Uh, we, 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 we like new things. Uh, we don't want the same thing over and over again. See, Solomon, he, he knew these things, and, and that's why he wrote in Proverbs 27 and 20, he said, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. See, hell, it would take everybody if it could. Anybody who wants to go to hell, hell has enough room for you. Hell will never not have enough room. It always has the room. It, it always has the space. It always has the time. But he says, as hell is never full, so the eyes of men are never satisfied. Uh, no matter what you receive in this life, it won't be enough. All right, you can encounter God's presence like that, but it won't be enough. You'll want more. You'll want more. See, Solomon, he understood these things. Uh, he says in Ecclesiastes 1 and 8, everything is wearisome behind, beyond description. This is the New Living Translation. But he says, no matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. You'll always want more. It's something about us refuge as people. And we have to understand our nature to defeat this, that we always will desire more. We'll always want more. And so we have to be mindful of those moments that we've had with God, and we have to cherish, cherish those moments. We, we have to magnify the Lord and magnify those moments so we don't get bored and, and go on into something else. We'll always want more. Those iPhones that come out every year, young people. See, I thank God for my wife because she doesn't want a new iPhone every time the new one comes out. And it saves me an extra 30, 40 bucks a month. <laughs> Praise God. But you will always want more. I don't care the type of shoes, the type of clothes. You'll want more. If God gives you a million, you'll want two million. Uh, I don't care how many viewers you have, you want more. I uh, See, I, I understood this when there was a pastor who has a church of 10,000 people. He left this church because it was too boring. Three services every week, every Sunday, 10,000 people. He was so bored. It had become so routine that he left the church where he had 10,000 members. See, that's why God, he shakes things up in our life. Because if God gave you everything that you wanted, you would get bored. Y'all don't believe it? But if God gave you everything you wanted, every present, every desire of your heart, listen, you wouldn't worship him. 
but it's through them hard and them rocky times where God, he takes your eyes off the world. He takes your eyes off the things that you want, and he allows you to go through a valley, and he begins to call your name, and he wants you to look at him. He wants you to depend upon him. Listen, God, he doesn't want you to be focused on the things of this world, but he wants you to be focused on him. Why? Because we only find complete satisfaction in God. Why am I preaching this message? Because I find, as I look around, I feel that we are becoming content, complacent. Do you all remember the video when we, we first came in here? We got it. If you want to play it. When, when, just, just say, this is our, our first service in this building. I want you to remember how excited you were to come to this I, for real, I, why don't we just all get in our chairs, get in our cars, and go right now to the new building? Oh, look at the excitement. I hope you know because that's exactly what we're going to do right now. Do you see the tears? moment that her and Pastor Brown have been waiting for for almost 20 years, a permanent place in the Lord. The joy that we felt in that place that day. See Israel? They had that moment. And in that moment, that's when he prayed, Sister Brown. He says, I, I know they're going to go back. He says, some of them, they won't be as focused as they were before. Something new has happened. A new church has come into the city. And they arrived that wave of excitement for a second. But then there's going to come a time where the excitement, it goes away. And I ask you, well, what, what do we do when there is no excitement? What do we do when we come to church and it's, it's just three songs and a guy preaching and an call, altar call every single Sunday till we get to the point where we know what to expect and God is not performing miracles. We're, we're not seeing things happen. What happens when we get into that routine refuge? We have to allow God to intervene. We have to allow God to connect us. Because the enemy, he comes to break up those things that God wants us to marvel at. Those things he wants us to desire. Come on, the enemy, he's after your marriage. Come on, he doesn't have you looking at your wife and your husband the same way that you looked at them when you first got together. Ah, uh, he and she, they, they don't look the same. I remember when I met them, they smell good all the time. <laughs> now nah, I can't stand them. 
You begin to see some things in that person that you had not seen before. And, and the spark and the apple in your eye, it, it ain't there like it used to be. Ah, but that doesn't mean give up on it. I said that doesn't mean give up on it, but that means you have to invest into it some more. You, you have to be intentional in the things that you do in that marriage. And listen, I don't want us to lose the marvel of this place that God has blessed us with. But when we feel that we're not feeling it no more, we have to continue to invest. We have to continue, continue to go and believe that God is able. We have to believe it. See, man, we're, we're not satisfied with our experiences. And God, he preached on it a little bit. I don't know if it was Wednesday or last Sunday. But there were 500 people that seen Jesus Christ after he rose from the grave, yet there were only 120 at Pentecost. There were 500 people who seen the resurrect, the resurrected Jesus Christ. They spoke with him. They heard, they seen a man raised from the dead. Imagine how excited they were in that moment. But yet at the day of Pentecost, there were only 120 people still praying. 120 people. What happened to the other 380? See, the moment, it didn't last always. They might have felt good for a couple of days. See, it was only 10 days before the time that Jesus had left in the day of Pentecost. In 10 days, 380 people. A week and a half after experiencing a Jesus, people had went away. And I'm just asking you today, where are you? Uh, how are you feeling? Are you in that place where I would have been one of the 380? That's fine. That's fine. At least you're here still at church. But something has to change. Something has to happen to where you can be in that place where the 120 receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. How many of us, we're just so used to this stuff. Presence of God, it doesn't even feel the same. It's, it's too common. Everything is, is too routine. See, I believe that God has sent me to this place today to speak to some people who you have lost the fervor. You have lost what it was when we first entered into this building. You were on fire. You were excited. But God says, look at those people in the verse. They experienced the glory cloud. And when you read the scripture, everything that Solomon prayed where God allowed famines to come and the people, they ended up being slaves in another country because they worship false idols. It all happened because they focused on the things of this world. See, my co-worker that became the millionaire, the reason he was able to drive that truck for 20 years was because he was not focused on what everybody else was driving. He was not focused on the new vehicles that came out. He was focused on his car. He was focused on his vehicle. And I'm challenging and I'm asking you in this place today to be focused, to become focused on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is what we should seek for. 
For the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and this righteousness, the right way of living, the right way of doing things. And, and when you do that, all of these other things, food and shelter, it will come unto you. The mountaintop prayer. It was not a prayer of celebration. But it was a prayer with Solomon. He knew the people would get tired. And he said, God. We did a wonderful thing, but we need truly for this to be a house of prayer. And when your people fall, when they slide, they become hypocrites, they backslide. Lord, just give them the opportunity to come back to you. And he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, all turn from their wicked ways. He says, I'll hear from heaven. <laughs> He says, I'll hear from heaven. As we all stand at this time, I'm done with this message. But I want people to be honest with themselves. Do you feel tired? Do you, do you feel wore out? What, what is allowing you to last week to week? to week because if it's not God soon enough we won't see you the only thing that would satisfy man is God as we sang that song they, they didn't know I was going to preach but the Bible that song that they were saying about Jesus being the sinner Truly, that's what has to happen. God has to become the center of everything that we do. Otherwise, our mountaintop, when people filled this sanctuary. Come on, you remember how full this place was. It become more empty. But God, he has other. He has better for this city. He has better for this church. Why? Because he has a people that depend on him. He has a people, a body of people and worshipers that will say, I'm not going to allow myself to get to that place where I find myself not going to church anymore, worshiping false gods. But I'm going to be like the 120. I'm going to focus on Jesus Christ and I'm going to continue to pray and I'm going to wait for the Spirit of God to be poured out. And because they waited, they were the first people filled with the Holy Ghost. Come on, I've had times in my life where I felt just like those people. Listen, there was a man that was at that meeting, at that prayer meeting. And he said, when I seen the prosperity of the wicked, he said, I almost slipped. I almost failed. He was so focused in that moment on what was going on outside of the church that he forgot about the great God in that moment that he almost backslid because he seen the riches and the wealth of the world. How these people, they were so evil, but yet they were prospering in everything that they did. And I know some of you may, you may ask, well, how is that that these people of the world are rich? I'll tell you how. 
See, you remember Satan, when he tempted Jesus, he tried to offer him the kingdoms of this world. See, when Adam and Eve, when they failed, see, that belonged to us. But when they failed, the enemy took it. And he gives people power to be rich. But we are in Christ Jesus. And we have taken back what the enemy has stole from us. And now we can do the same thing. But it is not our focus. Our desire and our focus is the kingdom of God. Those eternal things, Pastor. Those invisible things. And when we seek after that, all else will be added. This altar is open for those today. God, who say, Lord, I don't want to get to that place. Lord, I, I don't want to get to that place where I forget your glory. This altar today is for those people who will remember the once time in their life or the multiple times in their life where God, he poured out blessings upon them and he performed miracles. God wants you to remember those things again. That's what I was thinking of too. He wants you to remember those things.